Are you guys ready? Are you ready? <laughs> Woo! Did you guys listen to this song? Okay. <laughs> I don't want to get copyrighted. Um, but I literally could not. Okay, well, first off, that was a jam in high school. That's Welcome Back by Mace Moss, whatever you want to say. Um, 100% my jam in high school. I would find any excuse to play that song. And to kick off season two of After Hours with Amanda, the podcast that's about parenting, but not just parenting. It's the Heinz 57 a podcast. We cannot box ourselves in. I don't know if you are ready for what we're bringing for season two. Truthfully, do I even know what we're bringing for season two? No, because y'all know I fly by la seat of the pantalones, okay? But the time we have taken to step back and refresh ourselves, the therapy we've been in, the working on ourselves that's been happening, I mean, who is she, okay? I'm so freaking excited. Can I just say on like the deepest level of levels, I missed you so much. I missed talking to you. I missed sharing with you. I did not mean to take the hiatus that I did, but the more that the weeks went on, the more I realized that you get 18 summers and I will be damned if I don't totally make the most of that, right? So the hiatus we are taking is a, a, a good one. It's a good one that we took, but I am so refreshed and excited to be back with you. Um, I don't know. How have you been? What are you doing? Are you folding laundry? Are you back at school? Like, where are we right now? So I have so many things I want to share with you. I can't even begin. Um, a lot of people asked if I was, and by a lot of people, ugh, I say that, ill, ill. Can we rewind that? Like, ugh. Um, several people. We're going to say several because saying a lot of people just, I feel like, ooh, Amanda, what defines a lot? Like, get real. But several people DM'd and were like, are you still going to just be doing you? Are you going to have guests? So far, I don't have any guests planned. Um, if I do have a guest, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be like a fun episode where we just chit chat about like all the things. Um, who knows where that might lead, but for now, it's just me. Just me and you and some of the things that, you know, we've got to share. So welcome to season two. I have to tell you, I went back and forth. I'm still trying to figure out, do I want like a theme song to open us up? Do I want to change, you know, the graphic of the podcast? In in all honesty, the more I think about changing the graphic, honestly, this is such a trivial conversation, but I have to talk it out with you. I think like what really represents us and our community? Like when I think of After Hours with Amanda, what does that picture look like? And I just don't in my mind now think of anything that could really encapsulate what I feel the community is. So for now, we're just going to go with the if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality and dive right in. I will tell you in the time that we weren't spending time together weekly, podcasting it out, chatting, I was writing down different ideas that I had, different things that I wanted to talk about. And I think that the thing that really stuck out to me most and will probably be a theme in season two is this idea of 
joy and empathy in the midst of what feels like a chaotic, um, unknown, crazy what happens next. Um, let's not say unprecedented, dear God, please no. <laughs> um, season, right? We are rounding the corner on 2021. We have four months left. Um, well, a little more than four months, but anyways, we have some time where we're about to hit the second year of what feels like, I'm sorry, what, where has the last two years gone? But today I kind of want to talk about, oh my gosh, so many things, but this idea of how in this season of life, if you're like me and I've been talking about this with my therapist, we can kind of put ourselves in that situation where our first response is empathy and I don't just mean empathy with those around us. I mean empathy with ourselves. Do you know what's so funny? Something I've discovered in the last six months of therapy is that talking about self-love is such an easy conversation. Like it's so easy to say all the right buzzwords, right? Oh, I need to take time for myself. I need to love myself as is. This idea of self-love has become such a buzzword that it's so easy, or at least it was for me because I'm not going to put that on you, right? Maybe it's not your journey. Maybe you're really good at self-love. But this idea of self-love that I had of empathy for myself, it was hugely false. Um, And what I mean by that is not like I'm some imposter because I think Lord knows we all suffer from imposter syndrome, but it was this idea that, oh my gosh, no, you have to love yourself. Like you have to encourage yourself. You have to, but I, I didn't actually understand what that meant. And I'll tell you why. Um, I was in a therapy session with my therapist whom I'm a fan of, obviously. I'm very, like, I feel lucky to work with her. And we were kind of talking about things. We were talking about physical activity was actually the main topic of the conversation. And I don't want you to get stuck on that um, being where this came from. But we were talking about physical activity. And I was telling her, you know, my distaste for it and just how it's never brought me joy. And this was a couple months back. And we were working through this. And as I'm sitting and I'm self-reflecting, because y'all know I like to sit in a place of learning, I was self-reflecting on this idea of self-love and what I didn't like about exercise or what kind of even when I would try and exercise or get into some type of like physical activity schedule, like what would derail me all the time? Um, And you know that movie Scream? You say you might not know this movie Scream. Depending on where you fall, this is a very millennial movie. It even might be a little almost right outside the purview of millennial. But Scream, there's this line and it's like the call is coming from inside the house. And Drew Barrymore is on the phone with this villain in the movie and she realizes that the call is coming from inside the house. And I've talked about this before, right? Um And in this therapy session, talking about things going on in life, I realized that the saboteur was myself. Um, And I've talked about this before, the other shoe dropping, right? Um, This having this idea of embracing happiness and all this stuff. And what I realized is that me not taking care of myself physically was a form of self-sabotage in a way that created a really 
like cyclical self-hatred cycle because I had always viewed physical activity as a physical result. I always looked to the physical results of things, right? Like, what is this going to get me? Why am I doing this? Is it a dress? Is it a look? Is it a bathing suit? Is it summer body? Like, what is the point of being here, right? And it always tied back to a physical aspect. And so the easiest way when I would become, I I, I was in the therapy session and I was telling her, I was like, oh my gosh, the way that I derail myself, and I'm thinking this in my head, is The easiest way to upset myself or make myself feel bad about myself is to do something that I feel because of my past is physically detrimental, right? So instead of seeing physical activity as this emotional, spiritual, mental outlet and expression, I saw it as a physical one and I actually would sabotage myself so I would make myself feel worse, almost like a form of self-punishment. And so when times would get really stressful in your need to control things where some people might over-exercise, I would just cut physical activity out completely. And like I said, I don't want to get stuck on this idea of physical activity. That is not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is that in a bad moment or in a bad day, how do we move forward? to stop ourselves from getting stuck? And the answer is empathy. And the answer is not that kitschy buzz, self-love, I love me and all this stuff. It's an actual expression of self-love. How can you love yourself? What truth is that for you? And it may seem very simple, It could be a form of self-love for you is, and this might sound so trite and so don't, I won't take judgment on this, but I really always wanted a pair of Doc Martens. And God love my mother. My mom was not a fan of Doc Martens. She detested the shoe. Um, My brother could wear them, but she just like didn't love them. And my mom wasn't an overly controlling person in that way, but she was like super opinionated. And I don't say that in a negative way because she still was my very best friend growing up and I would have been absolutely lost without her. Um, And I miss her every single solitary day, but she had a real opinion on Doc Martens. Like they were like a shoe that I could never buy. Um, And so two years ago, um, Doc Martens didn't have anything that I loved, but Steve Madden had this really great like ripoff style Doc Martin. And I'm going to say ripoff style Doc Martin because I love Steve Madden, like shoes. They're great. But this was like 100%. Like, obviously you did not come up with this. This is Doc Martin. But they had done it in a very Steve Madden way. And I looked at the shoe and I had been, and I eyed the shoe forever and ever and ever and ever. And my dad came into town and he's like, we're in, um, I think the shoe at the time was in Nordstrom's because it wasn't in the Steve Madden store. And we were at the mall. And I was walking through and I stopped, I peeked at it and I kept walking. And my dad, who is like a shopper at heart, is looks at me and goes, uh, what was what was that about? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you stopped and stared at the shoe, Amanda Page. And I was like, oh, I was just, you know, I was just looking at it. And he's like, well, do you like the shoe? I said, oh God, oh, you know, I just, I couldn't wear that. Like I could never pull that off. And he looked at me and he's like, And he just like stared at me with this look like, really? Like, are you looking for me to push you in the door? And he he looks at me, God love the man. He goes, I'm not sure what you're looking for here. 
like, do you want me to tell you to buy the shoe? Is that what you're, are you looking for that like parental thing? You don't need my permission to buy a shoe. I said, no. He goes, do you want me to tell you I like the shoe? Because I actually do really like the shoe. And I was like, oh, you like it? You really do? And it was funny because that was just the push I needed to buy this shoe, which by the way, I wear so much during the winter and you will be seeing probably. <laughs> it's one of my favorite pair of shoes. And this form of self-love in that moment was buying this, you know, Steve Madden shoe, Doc Martin style, and saying that I was going to allow myself, and again, this may seem trivial, but I'm bringing it down to shoes because it's a, I feel very accessible level. Looking at this Doc Martin shoe and buying it for myself was allowing myself to step outside of this little box that was seemingly built for me slash I built for myself. And the empathy I had for myself was if, and it's again, it's as simple as a shoe. The empathy I had for myself in that moment was you've kind of wanted this shoe since you were a kid. And buying this is kind of like loving on that version of you and having empathy for what she wanted to try and who she was and respect enough to let her express that. And see, the thing is, is that we get really caught and I'm moving into that empathy kind of like mindset here. We get really caught up in stuff that honestly is just such bullshit. Like, I mean, let's just be honest, total BS, total BS. Um, and what it comes down to at the end of the day is all that stuff kind of just goes away. Like when you're, when, when you're sitting with yourself, that, that silence, that quietness, it's something that I've always had to feed. I couldn't sit with myself. I didn't realize it at the time. And it's something that I've been working through in therapy is I couldn't sit with myself. The silence was too loud. And it was because as much as I preach self-love to myself, my friends, and everybody else telling them they love, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? No, ew, don't talk to yourself that way. I was the first one to speak badly to myself. I was the first one to demean myself. I was the first one to sabotage myself. I was the first one waiting in line for myself to fail. I was absolutely ready and waiting, expecting just being like, yep, mm, not shocking, not shocking at all. And when I came to this really uncomfortable realization that I had no empathy for myself because there's always someone worse off, right? You're complaining about such a trivial problem. There's always something, there's always somebody doing something else and all that stuff. And if you can't have empathy for yourself, it's very hard to have empathy for others. It's very hard to have empathy for others because you're hard on yourself. And let me break that down. If every time something happens, you're telling yourself to suck it up or move on, or you're living under something or someone else's expectations of yourself, right? In this very inauthentic way, right? And it's inauthentic because it's, it's, it's lying to yourself, if you can't in those moments have empathy for yourself and hold yourself in a way that says, oh my gosh, I'm going to love on you. I'm going to love on you and I'm going to do something small. I'm going to go back to therapy. And I will tell you, 
I talk about therapy a lot, but I talk about therapy because I need to mention it to people. I still need to say it to make it okay to myself because some days I feel like I'm just a very selfish person because I'm going into therapy and what could be so bad. And and I remind myself, whoa, girl. Like I've gotten into that headspace where I will tell myself mid-thought, excuse you. How dare you speak to us that way? How dare you demoralize us? How dare you make us sound trivial? How dare you speak so poorly? Because if I'm out here and I'm being like, yo, my tiny humans are the coolest around. I build those girls up. I want them to be queens. And yet I literally speak to myself in a way that would make me cringe if I heard my daughter saying that to themselves. Who am I? See, the thing is, is that it makes it hard to have empathy for other people when you're so hard on yourself because you hold everybody else to that expectation, even if you're not trying to. And that, my friends, is why we're so hard on our tiny humans. And when I realized that, that freaking blew my mind. It's like this really strange little domino effect, right? If you treat yourself because, and here's where it rounds out, let's bring this full circle, circle of life, Lion King. We're going to have a Rafiki moment here. If you were not shown empathy as a tiny human and you were constantly told, suck it up, it's not that bad. Someone has it worse than you. If your emotions were constantly devalued or gaslit or lessened or demeaned, and you, in your inner voice, speak to yourself that way, that's what comes out. And it doesn't make you, like, I'm not saying this in a negative way, like, ew, if you don't have empathy for yourself, you're just a horrible human and you can't be nice to anybody and you can't be genuinely kind to anyone. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying at all because I consider myself to be a champion of people. But what I realized is that as championing, as championing, is that a word? We're going to go with it, y'all. As championing, bleh, championing, <laughs> as I wanted to be for everybody around me, I was unable to lift myself up. And even though I could talk the talk of saying I didn't care what other people think, um, people's judgment was deafening. And even though I could say that not doing this or being invited to that didn't bother me. That wasn't true because I'm a human being, right? You know that saying, um, if I cut you, do you not bleed? It's a, like a poem. I want to say it's Shakespeare. Don't quote me on that, dear God. I'm probably 100% wrong. But if I allowed all those times where I was like, suck it up. You're going to be fine. Blah, 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 blah. You can do it. You you need, it, it took up this space in myself where I didn't leave room for me. Because like we talked about in the Harry Potter episode, if you haven't listened to it and you're new to the podcast, please check it out. I love, I loved sharing that with you. But If you're moving forward from these wounds that you don't need to carry anymore, you can only move forward by loving on yourself and showing yourself that empathy. 
And as I talked through this in therapy, what I realized was the physical activity that I was going to bring into my life moving forward, it couldn't be about physical activity. It it needed to be an expression and an outlet of self-care towards myself. Not because a scale told me, not because I ate a friggin' bagel, not because I had an event coming up or I needed to have a summer body or it's bathing, not for any other reason than I was giving a gift to myself. See, and then we're going to talk about this in an episode because I feel like the pendulum of mom life has swung real hard on this one. And I'm just going to like tap on this and then walk away from it. But in mom culture, there was a time where you really couldn't talk about the struggles, right? And we've entered into this beautiful time where you can share with other people the struggles. But I think the pendulum has swung so far where that's kind of like all we talk about, right? Like that is honestly the main story, the lead headline of motherhood, like it's motherhood struggle, right? Um, And I I have some things this season that we're going to be talking about in that way that I am hoping is going to be encouraging for you, that I'm hoping is going to set you free from this mindset of it being this ball and chain, this discouragement, right? And I'm hoping that it's going to encourage you and build you up um, because the way that I'm able to be in that style of gentle parenting and the fact that I honestly have not read any gentle parenting books, but I have read books on healing myself and being back in therapy, that ability to have empathy for myself in a situation when I need it, to say, I'm going to sit in this feeling like I tell my children to do, and, and not rush that, that has allowed me to have empathy for them because I don't compare their struggles to mine. See, we were a lot of us, right? And this is generalizing. So if this is not you, of course, that's all right. But if this is you, you'll know what I'm talking about. We were brought up in this, if you want something to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. Um, your life is not that hard. How stressful can it be? You're this old in a way that constantly invalidated you. And it wasn't as if my parents were meaning to do that. I don't think that at all because my dad is one of the most caring, loving human beings and my mom was an absolute champion of me as a person, right? But this lack of empathy in how you're feeling, even now I see it and it crushes my soul. When somebody who's in their 30s looks at their 16-year-old and was like, you have nothing to be stressed about. And I'm like, but you're not them. And see, we carry that into adulthood. See, a lot of the reasons that we're kind of in this place personally, I believe in the world, is because we've quit seeing human beings as human beings. And we've only seen them as definitions off of judgments or things that we've seen or things that we said of what we're assuming. And it's very hard. And I will tell you this um, off a soundbite or a one minute video to truly see a human being. And I learned this recently when one of my videos was picked up by The Sun. It's a British magazine I had never even heard of before because I'm obviously, I don't live in London. Like I don't live in the United Kingdom. So how would I know? 
um, and they picked up one of my videos. And it was the one where Paige peed in the car. Um, I talked about how her and I had been going back and forth for weeks and months. Go to the bathroom before we leave. Go to the bathroom. And it was this big fight. And I was just exhausted by it. I'm like, this is so silly. I don't need to fight with her. Like, And one day I packed an extra pair of clothes. And I said, do you have to go to the bathroom? She said, no. I said, Paige, I really want you to try. She said, I don't have to go. I said, fine. I did not want her to pee in the car. It was not my goal. My goal was to make it to school, but I wanted to create a safe environment of support if that did happen, right? And so she ended up, oh, we were so close to school, y'all. My God, we were literally like seven minutes away from the school when it happened and I was like low-key devastated, but I had knew it was going to happen, so I had planned out my mental state. Like I wasn't angry. I didn't get mad at her. I just said, baby. I looked at her. I was like, girl. This is what, this is why I wanted you to go because we live far. Everyone and everybody, when I posted the video originally was like, why didn't you pull over? Well, I have two, I I have another child who has to get to school on time. We live almost an hour away from the school with traffic, 35 to 40 minutes without, I can't just pull over. It's not as simple as that. It's a freeway, right? Well, this video from like a year and a half ago got picked up by the sun And then it got to Facebook. And I will tell you what, there is no greater fear that I have than content arriving on Facebook. I purposefully do not post on there because I do not openly engage or open myself up to negativity. And currently I find Facebook a very negative space. Um, I know there are wonderful people on there, but I have never found it enriching to um, be on that platform or share my content there. And Um, someone sent me the article and I've made it kind of a rule of thumb after a couple viral videos to just not read comments on certain videos once they get to a certain point, right? Like when they're in my community and it's you all, like I try and respond as much as possible because I'm so happy you're here, right? Excuse me. Oh my gosh. I had a Coca-Cola, a large in McDonald's Coke, and I'm just trying not to absolutely belch. (laughs) Mm. Okay, that's water. That should help. But I'm not going to lie to you. Like, hello. It's I was trying to hold back a burp. <laughs> but the thing is, is that I make it a rule of thumb not to do that because it's very, it can be very demoralizing. But instead of following what I know is a really good rule of thumb, I threw caution to the wind and went to the comment section because I was astounded that there was like almost a thousand comments. And I am not kidding you when I tell you The comments ranged from crack whore to call someone on this lady to why did you even have kids to sterilize her to the most insane, like, and I just sat there and it was funny in the sense of I've gotten to this place, again, a lot having to do with therapy, where I looked at that and I was able in that moment to remove myself. Um, kind of in this very like dissociated way, like almost this a physical removal of my body, like taking myself out of that situation and looking at it. And what I saw was not these people who were angry at me, but I saw a lot of people who were probably dealing with a lot of different things. And I chuckled to my husband and I said, oh my gosh, Blake, one of these comments says I'm a crack whore. Literally, the comment said she must be a crack whore who pisses the bed. Like, and I'm not like, I, I don't like the term piss. Like it's like a little like, whoa, okay. Um, but I wasn't even mad. And the reason I wasn't mad 
because is because I was able to look at that and say, well, that's not true at all. And maybe, and I do this a lot, maybe that person is struggling with something that I'm unaware of. Maybe that person grew up with a situation that I don't know. Maybe that person is having a really off day. And not that that excuses the bad behavior or their comments, but what it does allow me to do is not engage in it because it doesn't warrant my energy. My empathy allows me to conserve my energy because I can see that my perspective and my lens and the framing with which the situation is taking place might not be theirs. And that is a huge thing. When people ask me, how are you able to parent how you parent? And let's just be real. I'm not perfect. Oh my gosh. The exhaustion level is high when you're trying to engage and work people through emotions, right? Especially multiples. But the reason that I feel I'm able to sustain is I have empathy for myself when I make a mistake. I have Empathy for myself when I know I need a moment and I need to take it and I can look at my tiny people and I go, yo, girls, I need a second. I need a hot minute. This is not about you. This is about me. And I need you to allow me to have this space to myself, to give this gift to myself of walking away from the situation because I'm straight going to lose my mind in a minute because I cannot function right now in this situation, how it's playing out. This could be over bickering of a television show, of a TV, of them not loving something after like 10 hours of having a tough day, right? And when I do that, it frees up space for me to have empathy for them. But if you weren't ever given empathy, that's not your first reaction. That's not the first go-to. See, The first knee-jerk is comparison. The first knee-jerk is defense. Just like the comment on Facebook. If in that moment I was super frustrated and I was like, screw that person. Forget them. What do they know? And I allowed that. They don't even know. And I allowed that comparison to come in. And then I allowed that energy to come in and I allowed it to take from me even more than it already would. If I allowed that in, it only stills further from me, right? That comparison, that frustration, okay? But if you bring in empathy and you go, ooh, they might be dealing with something. You don't only save yourself time, You're able to conserve energy. You're able to keep that little safeguard around yourself that says, this is the space I've created. These are the boundaries that I've built. And empathy is part of the armor that I put on. Empathy is my greatest weapon. And I mean that in a loving sense. Because I can't tell you how many times I'll get an angry DM and my only response will be, I'm sorry, that wasn't my intention. I hope that blah, blah, blah. When you meet somebody unexpectedly without defense and anger, it's insane how people are confused by that. They're like, whoa, 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 I'm sorry, wait, what just happened? Because the comparison trap that you fall into and the defense mechanism you fall into, it doesn't go up. Empathy stands in that space and empathy saves your energy. 
I like to think of it as like an invisibility cloak, right? Because you can walk through these situations guarded by it. And it's not something that comes naturally, right? Because if you weren't given that a lot, and if you were constantly told, "Mm, okay, your situation's not that bad. Oh, okay, well, when I was your age. Oh, well, you might be dealing with that, but I'll tell you 10 other things that somebody else is dealing with. It's not the first thing that you do because it's like, okay, well, what about me? And and as a, as a parent who's trying to raise emotionally sound, functionally aware, like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I feel, tiny humans. The comparison doesn't have space there, right? Like if I'm constantly as a, they're all going to turn 35 soon. Ooh, my birthday's in September, September 16th. Ooh, feels like a good day. Anyways, um, if I am entering into that and I'm playing comparison with a five-year-old, I'm always going to win. In my mind, in my mind, I'm always going to win because my problem's always bigger. Want to know why? Because I'm older. I've had more disappointment. But if you look from it from the five-year-old perspective or the 16-year-old perspective or the three-year-old or the 21-year-old or the 32-year-old or whoever it is, that's not what it's about. It's about what they're experiencing in that moment, which might be their highest level of disappointment, which since you felt disappointment before, if they haven't felt it before, actually technically their disappointment might be higher than your disappointment. And if you already have the tools because you've dealt with so much more disappointment, then shouldn't you be able to handle it better than them? So technically, you see where I'm going with this? Okay. I don't need to play it out. But technically, the five-year-old would win in that argument. They have less experience, less tools, and this is the highest level of disappointment they've experienced. See, the idea of empathy debt it allows you to not get stuck in your bad day. Because if you start having empathy for yourself, you will be so surprised at how that will pour out for other people. See, I think the thing that hurts my heart the most in the current state of things is I just want people to hug it out, man. And everyone's like, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And I'm like, I understand that. I understand that there are things that aren't that simple. But what I do know is that if I've learned anything in therapy the last six months, it is that, and from sharing that I'm in therapy, it is that people are really hurt and people are really wounded. And I feel fortunate because for me, I've gotten to this place where Um, in my faith, I feel very grounded. Um, you guys know I did losing your religion podcast episode where I talked about my testimony. So, you know, that I had struggles with that, right. In that, um, inauthentic, you know, but getting down to the fact that I couldn't judge Jesus off of every other human being because human beings are completely flawed, myself included like completely flawed. So no one is a true representation of him. So I had to take him for who he was, right? And I'm grateful for that tether. I'm grateful for that lighthouse. But a lot of people 
whether it's not faith or whether it's just something grounding as family or friends, there are so many people who feel lonely and wounded. And I can't imagine, I saw this, I saw this um, video of this girl in college on TikTok and my God, I related to her so much. She was eating in her room alone because she didn't want to walk to the cafeteria because she didn't know where it was. Oh man. I related to that so much because I didn't walk to to the other side of campus at the university at Sac State for an entire semester because my social anxiety wouldn't allow me to. I was so terrified someone would know I was didn't know where I was going. I was worried I would get there and have no idea and look lost and someone would think I was stupid. And I know that if I could literally go to that college and I swear to God, I prayed that someone I literally was like Dear Jesus, dear baby Jesus, I love that scene in Talladega Nights where they're praying to Jesus and they're like all doing their own version of at a Leonard Skinner concert. <laughs> um, anyways, I was like, dear sweet baby Jesus, if there is anybody that sees this TikTok at her university, dear God, please let them become her friend and walk her to that freaking cafeteria because I cannot take a plane and fly to where this university is and walk her there myself. See, it's easier to have empathy for people in a situation that you feel kindred to and you recognize. But if you're unfamiliar with it, or if it doesn't seem like that big a deal to you, or if you've never dealt with it before, it's very hard to have empathy for a situation because you're not built that way. And it's not anything wrong with that, but that's where all of it kind of ties into this idea of gentle parenting. And honestly, I really hope they come up with another name for it. I would just like to call it like humanized parenting. When we see our tiny humans as actual people and not just categorically kids, toddlers, a title that's defined by an age. Because when you're able to empathize with them, sympathize with them, it makes it a lot easier. I like to tell people, and I think this is like some type of saying or quote, like, I may not know what you're going through, but like, I'm here for you. It doesn't go that way. I butchered it. Oh, I'm so sorry to whoever actually came up with that. I totally butchered that. But the point is, is that as we head into season two, as I get asked a lot of questions about how I came to be the parent I am, here are the main key things. And I think that these are tools for life. Don't compare your pain to someone else's. It's not a competition. If it feels like a competition, it means you have an opened wound that's leaking and it needs attention. It means that you have something unresolved. And I'll tell you what, baby, that's me. I understand that. Been there, done that. So I'm not calling you out. I literally called myself out on that a few months ago. When they say comparison is the thief of joy, it's not just about your status in life and where your career is. It's about seeing other people's pain and being like, ooh, badge of honor for me. They don't even know what real pain is. If that is your response, you have unhealed wounds, I want to hug you immensely and give you all the love in the world. And I want to encourage you 
to invest in yourself at why that's your response. And it's usually because there's something going on. So don't compare pain. It's not a competition. The second thing is lead with empathy. Lead with the mindset. And this will be like number three of learning. Sit in a place of being really cool and okay with making mistakes. Whether people get pissed at you or not. Being okay with making mistakes because you will only learn from them. And sitting on this idea, I guess this would be number four, that you actually don't know how to parent. You have no idea what you're doing, me included. I'm rambling into a computer, basically, is what somebody could say. I'm not an authority on anything. I am merely sharing what I have learned because I feel like it would be a disservice if I didn't share the things that I'm learning because I wish God, I wish somebody had been out there telling me this. Hey, Amanda, did you know pain doesn't have to be a competition? You don't have to be the most wounded person in the room for it to count. Hey, Amanda, did you know that pain doesn't need to be compared for you to go to therapy? Did you know that something that could be no trauma to you could be huge to someone else and something that no one could ever remember happened to them could completely change the trajectory of your life? It's not a comparison game. Trauma is relative to whoever it happens to. So don't compare pain. Don't make it a competition. Have empathy for those around you. Sit in a place of learning and be cool with making mistakes and have empathy for yourself when you do and extend that grace and that empathy to others because empathy is is like joy, right? When you show up with it, it spreads. It leaks out. It creates beauty around you. But the same goes for anger and comparison. You know how they always talk about like having one bad apple in the bunch and how it can, you know, ruin the whole batch or whatever? Well, let's lead with the mindset that it's not about one bad apple. It's about throwing a good apple in that bunch that can change the mindset. And I will tell you something. When you become a person whose response is empathy, it safeguards you. It creates a light around you. And it allows for you to conserve your energy because you don't trifle or deal with other things Because you're not comparing them. Because you don't need to be right. Because you might be wrong. And being in that sitting position of space makes so much room for others. So, this is our first episode. It could have been total rambling or maybe it helped out. I never know. (laughs) All I know is that we're back at it and we will be going back at it every Wednesday from now until I decide season two ends, which will not be, probably we won't take a hiatus till January again because y'all know I have some Christmas podcast episodes that I will be needing to share and I will be sharing those in the moment because y'all know I love the holiday season.
but I want to thank you all for being here. God, I want to thank you just for the wonderful human that you are. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for what you do. And if this resonated with you, please share it with someone you think that would enjoy it. Please, if you do listen, let me know. It brings my heart joy. And if you get a little nugget from it, let me know. But as I end every single solitary podcast, whether it's one person listening, a hundred or none, because I would do this every week if no one was listening for the simple fact that maybe one day somebody who needed to hear it would, but you are loved. You are valued. You are worthy. I'm going to add that one in there. You have exponential and limitless potential. And don't you let anybody, including yourself, tell you otherwise. Have empathy for others. Have empathy for yourself. Spread your joy. Conserve your energy. Realize that comparison truly is the thief of joy. And start in that place of self-love in a way that doesn't just talk about it, but in a way that stops you from sabotaging yourself because you love yourself too much to sabotage yourself. Whether that means you love yourself enough to sit on the couch and take a day off or whether that means you love yourself enough to walk away from a situation that's only taking from you. I am grateful you are here. And you matter. And you are needed. And I truly in my heart believe that God has you here for a reason and you are absolutely, absolutely necessary. So... Thank you for being here. And I cannot wait to dive into what I hope is a very, very exciting season two of After Hours with Amanda, but promises to be just as chaotic as the last one.